Today on the Wrestling Podcast About Nothing, you voted on Twitter, and as a result, we will reveal our favorite wrestling manager and get into the art of managing as a whole. I'm amazed that I've managed not to kill you in the 100 plus episodes we've done of this podcast, Mike. Let's see if we can get through another one. Plus, your promo about nothing is coming up and so much more, but first, tell him, George. I think I can sum up the show for you with one word. Nothing. Wrestling fans, there are millions and millions of podcasts out there, but there's nothing like this one. Do you ever just get down on your knees and thank God that you know me and have access to my dementia? This is the Wrestling Podcast about nothing. Nothing? Nothing. Welcome to the Wrestling Podcast about nothing, episode 112, presented by BDARadio.com. My name is Mike Crockett. I'm a longtime independent wrestling referee in the Northeast, currently on an extended hiatus from the ring. And joining me, as always, is a veteran of the New England Independent Mat Wars, now a Ring of Honor wrestler, the original irresistible force and immovable object, the taco assassin, the kingpin Brian Malonis. Yes, yes, I am the Taco Assassin apparently now. Yes, Taco Fest was it yesterday. We're recording on Sunday, so this is Saturday. Yes, yeah, it was uh, yesterday for Northeast Wrestling in Terryville, Connecticut. The well-known city of Terryville. <laughs> yeah, never heard of it before. Well-known for their Mexican cuisine, I, I gather. Yeah, um, you know, um, I actually asked like if there was, because uh, like you know. You find like pockets of like ethnicity sometimes in different geographical regions. Um, mm-hmm. I know from the city I lived in, there were there were different pockets of the city that part of it was French, part of it was Greek. So I kind of asked, like, is there you know a large population of, of immigrants from Mexico in this area? Because like it made no sense to me why Terryville, Connecticut, would have taco fest it made no sense and somebody said nope it's like the redneck suburb of like norwalk or something like that down there i was like this makes no sense to me whatsoever well tacos bring the world together brian everybody loves tacos they do tacos are delicious they cross all lines (laughs) that that they do but i just thought maybe there was some sort of cultural significance as like why this particular town or whatever was chosen to host this event that's all just connecticut being connecticut i guess so you hate connecticut so (laughs) yes and i'm sure you passed through connecticut there's no way avoiding it on your way to new york city two weekends ago at this point hammerstein ballroom you were there uh is it old hat yet going and performing at the hammerstein ballroom no it's pretty cool to perform in new york city and uh yeah no it's not old hat yet so, uh, spoiler alert? Are there spoilers coming out of there? That was uh, on the Honor Club, correct? Uh, no, that was a TV taping, Mike. Oh, excuse me. Yes. So, spoilers? I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler. I, I'll oh. tell you that you will see in the coming weeks on Ring of Honor television, myself and the Beer City Bruiser teaming with Silas Young. So we're in a six-man tag coming up on one of these upcoming episodes of Ring of Honor Television. I believe it'll be the episode that airs after the pay-per-view. I see. So uh, the pay-per-view is coming up. Is that in two weeks? June the 29th. 
All right, so we'll keep our eye on Ring of Honor television. Of course, you can go to ROHwrestling.com. You can see it for free on the website, Honor Club. Uh, also, the Fight TV app. You can find ROH TV or check the local listings on ROHwrestling.com to see where Ring of Honor airs in your local area. We were in our local area last week on this podcast, Kingpin. We were backstage at Chaotic Wrestling and got a lot of good feedback from that. Uh, at Zeke Dane. The uh, famed photographer for Chaotic Wrestling, he really likes those episodes where we take you behind the scenes and backstage at Another Dumb Mark. No, it's not me, Brian. It's another gentleman who has the name. I met Another Dumb Mark. Oh, you did? Yeah, he was at the Chaotic Wrestling show. And he meeted you and greeted you? Yeah, we recorded together, Mike, me and you. Well, you... No, Brian. (laughs) No, I met the actual man. (laughs) Well, that's good. Did he buy anything? No, no, he didn't, but he did... uh, he, did, he, he was very complimentary of the podcast, including yourself. Well, that is worth its weight in gold. Indeed. And as always, thanks to everyone who gives us feedback over the week at Randall Keogh, even Steven at HHHGuy2004, my nemesis. Thanks to him, as always, for feedback and letting us know what they think of the episode on Twitter. Uh, speaking of Twitter, Brian, you had some pointed comments towards me last week on Twitter after the podcast was released. Of course, you were participating in the event at Chaotic Wrestling, so you weren't uh, a part of the entire episode. You had to go and do your thing at moments. So I had Rich Palladino on, and you said, I'll take it from Rich Palladino, at Rich Palladino on Twitter, because he has to be out there performing. But at Crocsox, you would have had a better seat had you bought a ticket to see me in the ring with Cena and Vince McMahon. So why, why were you so upset? What did I say? Well, it was the it was the burial of me for turning off the microphone, which I don't even remember doing. Well, you certainly did it. And it's it, you're talking about a ten year old video, standard definition. You can't tell what I'm doing with that microphone. All I know is that John Cena went to pick it up, and he looked like a fool because he was speaking to nobody because the microphone was not on. Oh, so I as uh, you know, I'm just trying to make sense of this, Mike. I I would want my uh, my nemesis to be able to uh, <laughs> spread their propaganda to the masses. <laughs> well, how did you know he's going to be coming out? I would just out. serve it to them on a silver platter. <laughs> oh, Brian! <laughs> my goodness. Well, that's my the thing, goodness. Mike. I didn't know he was coming out, so you know, I thought we didn't need it anymore. I was trying to conserve batteries. That's very nice of you. Very nice of you. But yeah, like like I said, though, Rich Palladino was out there in the trenches, Mike. You were sitting on your ass back in the locker room uh, as a spectator. You've been better off buying a front row seat. Well, I was gracious enough to allow a gentleman like John Cena to take my place, refereeing the main (laughs) event of the show. As a senior official, I acquiesced to the guest that night. (laughs) Yeah, that's what what happened. (laughs) All right, so yeah, check out last week's episode. Uh, A lot of good stuff in there. Uh, Brian Malonis, you have a website, brianmalonis.com. You there? Yeah, I'm here. Usually you say something else snarky, so I was giving you that opportunity to okay. uh, get whatever rubbish you were going to spew out. I'm going to have you push your own stuff for once. <laughs> I always push my own stuff. You head over to brianmalonis.com, get yourself, uh, you can get yourself a Mastodon t-shirt, you can get yourself a Kingpin t-shirt, and uh, also you can get yourself a Curtain Jerker t-shirt, which I- I've been wearing to some of the events lately, and-, and people, including another dumb Mark, was disappointed that we didn't have the, or I didn't have the Curtain Jerker t-shirt for sale at my merch stand. Maybe we should make that happen. Well, you're going to pony up half to uh, make that happen, Mike? So we can Oof. print some up? It's baby on the way, Brian. 
baby on well, the way. There might be. Tom. I have I have two kids. You do. You don't. You don't even have one yet. <laughs> well, you should get the T-shirt that says "I got kids." That's the T-shirt you should be wearing. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, yeah, okay, get the T-shirt at brimelos.com. You could also go to the wpan.com. That is the wpan.com. That is our official website, our hub. Anything you want to know, wrestling podcast about nothing, you can find there. Get the episodes. Find ways to subscribe. See old school photos of the two of us. The wpan.com. That is the website. And between podcasts. Here you can check out the Putting Over Podcasts Facebook group. Just go to Facebook, put in the search bar "Putting Over Podcasts," and you can find us and a host of other pro wrestling podcasters, all talking about what we love, and that is wrestling talk. So go over and check out the Putting Over Podcasts Facebook group. And I'm thinking, Brian. I'm in the early stages of trying to convince myself to do a wrestling podcast about nothing specific Facebook group. What do you think? Oh, you're you're all over the Facebook groups, huh? Yeah, it's a very good way to interact with the people. You're a man of the people. I certainly am. So yeah, check out Facebook. Uh, Coming soon, perhaps, the WPAN Facebook group. That is... WPAN in Cincinnati. Very good, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) all right thank you to the our vantage point retro wrestling podcast for their help in getting out the word about the wrestling podcast about nothing and we'll shout them out we'll shout out booking the territory and all of our pals a little bit later on but first brian pro wrestling managers of course you voted on twitter at the wpan we're going to talk about our favorite managers a little later on but let's talk about the art of managing. Let's talk about the the lost art of managing. Managers. In the beginning, I think the role was kind of established to keep older wrestlers in the business. Would you say that that's probably accurate? Um, I don't. I boy, you know, I never thought of it that deeply. But I guess it. I guess it makes sense. Uh, where, where's your evidence, Mike? Are you just strictly going on like '80s managers, or what? What's the basis behind this? In before that, there's a guy by the name of Bobby Davis, who is a former wrestler who became a manager. Arnold Skoland, uh, later on, the 70s, was a wrestler who they gave a role as a manager just to keep him out there, keep him on shows. Buddy Rogers, the famed nature boy, was a manager for Jimmy Snuka at one point, a former wrestler. And... This tradition even carried on into the 70s and 80s. Freddie Blassie, of course, famous wrestler, especially in California. He became a manager. Uh, Johnny Valiant, Mr. Fuji. There's a long line of former wrestlers who ended up becoming managers. Is that a good enough case? Sure, sure. I mean, the other big thing, too, is, is maybe to help out some guys who, you know, can't talk so good. yes 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 uh in the 70s that's kind of when the manager in my eyes came into prominence with blassie the aforementioned freddie blassie captain lou albano and the grand wizard they called him the three wise men of the wwwf and bobby heenan was around in the 70s was he not as well well yeah i thought he managed stevens and and bachwinkle in the 70s I think, yeah, I think you're right. But the, I'm talking about the, the most prominent in the WWF, to us anyway, in the Northeast. I wasn't born yet, Mike. <laughs> Heaton's heyday would be the 80s, and we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, 
Yeah, like you mentioned, a pro wrestling manager ended up becoming, at its height, a wrestler has trouble with interviews, so you give him a manager, give him a mouthpiece to kind of get across his motivations for someone who really has trouble doing so. Yeah, I, I agree. That would be that would be the point, I think, right? Well, I mean that that's one way. Um, there's also <laughs> there's also uh, another way a manager can help somebody is. It's a good way to establish a talent on day one. I mean, I would say Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson didn't need Bobby Heenan to talk for them. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely not. But it gave uh, it gave them that instant credibility with the WWF audience at that time. Right. So that's another way that a manager can help a wrestler out. If it's someone who's unestablished in a region. Uh, yeah, exactly. You got you got these regional stars that came up to the big leagues and, and they needed help. <laughs> there, was, there was a period of time where Bobby Heenan just introduced every heel that they wanted to get over. Like he introduced Jim Cornette to WWF audiences. He came out and introduced Brother Love for the first time on the Brother Love show. So Bobby Heenan, if they just put him out there and everyone managed to get the rub off a guy like Bobby the Brain Heenan. But in the 80s, everybody had a heel manager, even if they didn't really necessarily need one. I mean, we talked about Tully and Arn, and I mean, Ric Flair came in, and Heenan was an advisor of sorts. He went on the road with him for a little while anyway. You kind of put a manager with a heel just to let people know he was a heel, I think, in the 80s. Like, a lot of guys that didn't necessarily need managers had managers in the 80s. Just about everyone up and down the card that's a heel had a manager. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I feel like every heel had a manager, and it's kind of it's kind of funny when you think about like repetition or the whole less is more thing, or um, yeah, every every single heel on the roster had a had a manager, and you remember the uh, Macho Man Randy Savage angle where he's picking a manager, and just all the, those different managers that were all active together at the same time on the roster, and now you fast forward to 2018 and. It's like Paul Heyman. <laughs> yeah. This, and the same with uh, Bam Bam Bigelow. Everyone was gunning for his services. <laughs> Good old Oliver Humperdinck. They, they did the same angle twice, basically, right? Yeah, with, with varying degrees of success, I'd say. <laughs> yes. Humperdinck was not, uh, was not the tops in the WWF, I would say. <laughs> I think you're the tops, Mike. Thanks so much. So a wrestling manager, it can kind of spice up a feud. It can lengthen a feud. Say like a manager helps the heel win a match. Then the next match, the manager is barred from ringside or the manager is hung in a cage. Having a manager out there at ringside just provides a ton of additional options for a talent in the ring. You had managers before. And speaking of which, I mean, you could speak for yourself quite capably as seen here and heard here on the wrestling podcast about nothing, but you had managers as well. And I think it just kind of opened up a wealth of options when you're putting together a match, right? Yeah. And and it's funny. So I've had, you know, I I had a manager like Cherry Payne who I considered her a manager and not a valet because she would get a little more involved than say like a valet would, but she didn't do the talking um, ironically enough. But then I was with the guy like Sean Gorman who who did all the talking uh, and uh, after that w- that was short lived because I absolutely hated it. I hated not doing the talking for myself because I think I, I think I have the gift of gab, Mike. What do you think? You sure do. But I think when you <laughs> when you have the manager out there beyond the interviews, beyond the speaking part of the role, it like I said, it adds an additional cog to the wheel there to really help you out if you're in a gym coming up with a spot or an angle in a match. 
Yeah, I, I, I think so. And and I liked I always liked the dynamic between between me and Cherry Payne because here you get me, and I obviously I'd get lots of lots of uh, heat for being this fat guy. But then I hear I have this beautiful woman with me, and she's doing my bidding for me, and. Um, I always liked our our dynamic, and I, and I thought it was I thought it was interesting and a little you know I feel like it was a little outside the box from the traditional uh, relationship, but yeah, it does it it adds it adds a little something. Um, I, I again I don't personally love it. I liked my relationship with Cherry Payne, but other than that, I don't. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't love having a manager. I will say that as a referee, I love having that option because. I mean, sometimes the wrestlers, they don't necessarily consider the referee and what they do in front of the referee or behind the referee's back. So having a manager there is a great way to say, manager, get up in the apron so you don't see me cheating. That is a great option to have, in my mind, as a referee to not make me look like a fucking idiot. Well, that, that's, you know, we don't want to make you look like an idiot, Mike. You do you do a good enough job on your own. But yeah, I get, I get what you mean. But at the same time, too, like you just having the manager jump up for the sake of having the manager jump up just so you can do something cheap. Like, I think that's stupid, too. Okay, well, you're kind of down on managers from what I'm hearing. And managers... No, no, not, not in general. Not not in okay. general. I meant for my personal preference as far as work. I mean, I, I have a manager right now in Northeast Wrestling. He's really good. He does a good, he does a good job. So I'm not, I'm not downing that. And relationships can be good. Just it, it, from my experiences over the years, like I've always enjoyed just being on my own. So when managing goes bad, Kingpin, uh, I mean, manager can get heat, great... But you got to make sure the heat goes to the right place, right? On the talent in the ring and not on the manager itself. And that's a delicate balance. Yeah, it's you don't want to steal heat from the match, you know, and and you got to find you got to pick and choose your spots. Um there's nothing worse than working with a manager who all the focus is on them and the people aren't watching the match because they're, you know, him and Han with everybody in the front row and causing a spectacle the entire match. And and then all of a sudden it's like, well, all right, well, I'm in here busting my ass and this guy who's standing there on the apron or standing down by the ring not breaking a sweat has distracted the crowd from watching a second of it. So, yeah, as a manager, you got to know when to pick your spots. And those spots are usually the down spots of the match, a rest hold, stuff like that. That is when the manager is supposed to, you know, get up on his feet, move around, get the crowd behind the baby face. Just uh, when there's a dead spot in the match, that's the spot where the manager is supposed to, uh, you know, kind of pick up the energy. Yeah, exactly. You're, you're filling, you're filling a blank there. Also to the prime opportunities to cheat, you know, the referee has to admonish the bad guy wrestler for something and the manager can get a shot in or a choke in or or something something weaselly in there like there yeah there's there's your moments but um that's when you're talking about the lost art of pro wrestling managing that's that's a big piece of it because i'd say for every you know one or two really good managers on the independents there's a whole plethora of guys who just go out there and they don't understand what the point of a manager is. It's just about them and getting themselves over. Right. And you said Weasley in there. And that kind of brings me back to the weasel chance for Bobby the Brain Heenan. I mean, he really, I talked about the delicate balance. He really, I mean, I guess with some of the weaker talents, maybe he managed that the heat ended up being on Heenan instead of the guys in the ring. And that's kind of... I don't know. It's really tough to keep that balance right. Yeah, for, for Bobby Heenan, Bobby Heenan became 
so I mean he would he, he was just an incredible performer that he had to have cream of the crop like top level uh over wrestlers because if not he completely overshadowed them you know you think of him managing a guy like a Hercules or something like that Bobby Heenan just completely overshadows him he had to be with the when you think of the guys that he managed that were you know at the at the, at the top you know Andre perfect Rick Rude Brooklyn Brawler uh, <laughs> yeah um is that about doink yes <laughs> okay <laughs> but when you talk you talk about that level of of talent that's the type of talent bobby heenan had to be with because he was so over and such a fantastic performer you couldn't put him with an under under it got to a point where you couldn't put him with an underneath guy uh because he just became the focal point yeah and he was kind of the focal point i think that made him in the point of the red rooster Brooklyn Brawler whole angle because he was with the Red Rooster and basically <laughs> I just remember him for the Brother Love show just you're not very good are you Terry Taylor no I mean you know, I could be better you're not the best though no I'm not <laughs> really the best it's really this really strange thing where yeah it was just a full on full display that it was Bobby Heenan was the focal point of that whole thing yeah and it just you know Terry Taylor was a fantastic wrestler but just maybe on a character standpoint couldn't couldn't keep up to to a guy like Bobby Heenan and uh, according to Bruce Pritchard, he could have got that Red Rooster thing over if he just committed. Right, Brian? <laughs> Sh- sure. <laughs> <laughs> it was so stupid. <laughs> yes, it was. So we go on here through the 80s into the 90s, Brian. The late 90s, however, managers kind of gave way to valets eye candy to beautiful women who didn't do too much other than with some noted exceptions didn't do too much other than just stand there right yeah i mean i think i think there was just a complete shift in the business i mean one it was they were going for a uh, a more risque edgier product so what would you rather stare at you know bobby heen and jimmy hart or mr fuji or Tori Wilson or Stacey Keebler or Trish Stratus when she first came in. I mean, well, depending on the type of audience you're trying to go for, I mean, that's, I mean, I, I, I get it, I guess. Um, I, I, you know, and I, I don't hate that they, cause I don't hate that they went away from it, uh, for a bit because I think, it, I think much like anything, when you have a roster that has, you know, six, seven, eight, nine managers, it just becomes the same thing over and over again. So you have to pull back and get away from it. In my mind, though, managing the male manager became a lost art, not because it was ineffective. I think it was always effective. It can still be effective, case in point, Paul Heyman. But I think just the taste of certain people in power, they just got away from it. They wanted to have the the good-looking women, and it just kind of became uh, passe in their minds. I don't think it's passe. It can still They've done it random times throughout the years with success, but it just... The mentality of certain people in powerful positions, I think, just decided that uh, wrestling managers were passe. Yeah, but I, th- I don't think you can blame. Like, uh, here we go. We're gonna we're gonna blame the big bad WWE office again <laughs> for ruining the sanctity of pro wrestling. Just like what a tired narrative, and I I can't believe you have fully just bought into this nonsense but um there's lots of other wrestling companies who have people in power who came to the very same conclusion so if they were following wwe's model then shame on them and maybe that's why they're out of business yeah well that's kind of what wwe does it trickles down in my eyes and in jamie jimikowski's mind as well as we heard a couple well, weeks who's, ago on the podcast. whose fault is th- whose fault is that then the leader or the followers that yeah 
that that's I can't argue I mean, with that either. I mean, a, a guy like you and and you're you're you know, it's funny you've become the ultimate you know internet fan. Uh, oh Jesus! You, 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 you're you're going to blame the WWE and you and Mike the Mike Mills of the world and guys of that ilk are going to blame the big bad WWE. But it's like all these other companies have people in charge and they have brains of their own. You know, I, I mean, Impact or Ring of Honor certainly free to reemphasize the manager if they really wanted to. Are they are they not? WCW could have done the same. Yeah, Ring of Honor had Truth Martini for a long time, as we said in the very beginning, former wrestler who became manager because he couldn't participate as a full-time performer in the ring. So he was very effective for a long time. Paul Heyman, as I mentioned, is a perfect guy, you know, who went with someone who was not an effective orator and really helped get that guy to the next level, Brock Lesnar, of course. Uh, I it's definitely possible and it's something that should come back to prominence, not to the level in the 80s where every heel had a manager. It's great that guys can speak for themselves now, but in those rare occasions, I think that a manager is needed and probably necessary. Yeah, I, I would. I, I would. I mean, look, just look how great Paul Heyman is, right? But at the same time, especially now when you think of the saturation point of wrestling, um, would it be better if, if there were seven of Paul Heyman's? You know what I mean? Like if there were, if, if you know, would it be better if they had seven? I'm trying to think now how many managers there were. You know, at one point in the '80s, it was Heenan and Jimmy Hart and Jimmy Valiant and Mister uh, and Mister Fuji. Um, slick, slick. Yeah, I'm sure I'm missing a couple more here. I mean, with the saturation point of wrestling right now, and how much you know, how much time there is of it, or how much there is on TV to consume. Do we want to go back to having six managers on the roster and every heel has a manager? No, but I think we pick and choose our spots. We find a guy who is completely gifted physically, who like maybe like a Lars Sullivan. I haven't really heard his promos. He's a big, massive, hulking human being. But if he can't talk, put a guy who can talk with him and that would be a perfect marriage. And they seem to be very averse to doing that. yeah, I, I guess. I mean, but and then again, you have Paul Heyman, who who does it on a level that you know is puts him with the greats of all time. If you get somebody and they're and they're not, they're not you know they're on the same television show, but they're they're not of the same you know level. Does it just feel cheap? You talking about Paul Heyman with Curtis Axel? No, 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 no. I'm talking about if you took another manager and put them on the same show and they're not as good as Paul Heyman. Does does that person just feel cheap or like an imitation, like a less than? Well, it doesn't matter if Paul Heyman's not on TV for months at a time, I guess. But his influence is such that, I mean, people talk about him all the time. He's barely on TV, but at the same time, if they had another manager who, again, was less than, I I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'd like to see more of it, but there's also has to be, one, a willingness of, of talent to commit to doing it, and two, somebody with the ability to do so. There's room for someone of someone that has maybe some different attributes from Paul Heyman, who looks different enough, who is different enough to be an effective manager. I, I think it's possible, and I think we hopefully will see something like that in the future. Anything is possible. I mean, the possibility, but I mean, who? Are you, you going to do like the Boston sports radio fan thing? Anybody. <laughs> Get anybody. 
<laughs> it don't matter anybody. All right, Brian, this is all leading up to what you, the listeners and followers at the WPA and on Twitter, voted for this past week, our favorite wrestling manager. But before we get to that, we want your feedback. Tweet us at the WPA and on Twitter with your take on this week's episode, your thoughts on our discussion. Use the hashtag WPA and let us know what you think about the art of managing and pro wrestling. Should it make a comeback? What do you what do you think? Let us know at the WPAN on Twitter. And the best way, why don't you call in? Leave a voicemail. We will play it on the podcast. 401-584-9726. That is the number. 401-584-WPAN. Before we get into it, booking the territory. I want you to check out that podcast with Mike Mills, Hard Body Harper, Doc Turner. Twice a week on Sundays and Thursdays, they look at some old school wrestling, specifically Smoky Mountain Wrestling and the old Jim Crockett promotions. That is MikeMills.Podbean.com if you want more on booking the territory and our vantage point we heard michael quinn's uh stirring rendition of wkrp in cincinnati earlier in the episode check out their retro wrestling podcast our vantage point with joe Morata and the aforementioned michael quinn ovppodcast.com is their home base check it out one of the best podcasts you'll find out there about the retro wrestling and speaking of the old school greetings from allentown with pw peter winson go inside the mind of our friend from down the street Peter Winson on Greetings from Allentown. He looks at a single episode of wrestling television from history and breaks it down in ways you couldn't even imagine. So check out Greetings from Allentown on his own feed or on the Pro Wrestling Only feed on Place to Be Nation and the Rundown Wrestling Podcast. Jason Stewart and all his pals there. Rundown Podcast on Twitter at Rundown Podcast. Find their feed and enjoy all week long. But Brian... We're doing the favorite wrestling manager and Randall Keogh at Randall Keogh on Twitter. Very happy that his pick won the poll. Wrestling managers, Brian, why don't you start us off here? One of your favorites. We're leading up to our number one most favorite wrestling manager, but who's in the running in your mind? Yeah, so I mean, one one of my favorites, and it's a little a little off the grid, I think. Maybe maybe not, but somebody who I'm a big fan of uh, is sensational sherry sherry martell i thought she was absolutely outstanding especially um the 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 run that sticks out to me is her managing the macho king uh when she was you know she was queen sherry just she could talk on the mic she would get physical um just outstanding absolutely outstanding one of my one of my favorite managers of all time one of my favorite female performers of all time and really probably one of my favorite performers period of all time and you said it. You said manager, not valet. Regardless of gender, she was a manager in every way. Uh, got as physical as the guys at points. I remember just Hulk Hogan bumping her around the ring. It was just uh, crazy what they can get away with back in the 80s. But yeah, I mean, it's not an obscure pick to the OVP guys. They love Sensational Sherry. Uh, they talk about her all the time. And yeah, that run with her as the manager of Randy Savage just got she just got more nuts and more nuts and more makeup on that face her face just completely covered by the end of the run with Randy Savage <laughs> she was uh insane but yeah as physical as any of the male managers that were around at the time and a great pick and definitely one of the top uh managers of all time yeah yeah without a doubt buddy without a doubt laid laid some foundation for 
the kind of I would love to see sensational Sherry in uh, in her prime in 2018. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Uh, okay. Similar uh, era, same promotion. Well, he started out in Memphis, but he ended up in the WWF. Jimmy Hart, the mouth of the South, the prototypical. Just the if you want to talk about an annoying person as a manager that was one of the like he was just the most annoying person at ringside just with that megaphone just barking the entire match long a weaselly little human being that really just uh, got on the fans nerves jimmy hart the mouth of the south he was in memphis uh did stuff with andy kaufman that made him famous he was probably at his height in memphis by the time he got to wwf i mean he was still a young fella but he wasn't put in the prominent role because that was you know reserved for a guy like bobby heenan but jimmy hart always uh just an annoying little gnat at ringside and one of the one of my favorite managers but not my most favorite yeah him him with the heart foundation always uh is the one that really sticks out to me but just uh, jimmy hart's like commitment to like just the business and uh you know if he managed multiple guys he'd have a different jacket for every guy and like that 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 just shows a different such a different level of um of commitment, you know, and if you listen to like a podcast like the Bruce Pritchard one that has the insight, it's not like somebody was telling Jimmy Hart in 1986, he's hey, you're managing these four different guys, you got to have a different jacket for every guy uh, that you're managing. Like he, he just, I think he just did it on on his own, and um, yeah, just showed a, a level of commitment. And here, Mike, Mike I want to throw out a little a little gym uh, okay to you here in regards to Jimmy Hart. It's something I noticed recently. Go back and watch the 1993 King of the Ring and watch uh, the Jimmy Hart Hulk Hogan promo. And in that promo, Jimmy Hart describes Hulk Hogan with the opening verse of American Made, Hulk Hogan's uh, WCW entrance music. He's got the red, white, and blue running through his veins. And it was born and raised in the U.S. of A. He says that in <laughs> at, the, at the King of the Ring 1993 in a promo. So a little Easter egg, a little nugget there. I was blown away. I had to rewatch it like three times. This man has red, white, and blue running through his veins. And he was born and raised in the U.S.A. And speaking of commitment, just the fact that uh, he came to a chaotic wrestling show, and I met the man, Jimmy Hart, and no cameras on us, and he calls me baby. He, just, <laughs> he calls everybody baby, just like he does, uh, you know, on the microphone. <laughs> Jimmy Hart. Uh, what else you got there in terms of favorite managers? I, I think one of the one most memorable ones from, from you know, when I first fell in love with wrestling, and uh, to be specific, one of his catchphrases, uh, calling people pencil neck geeks. Classy Freddie Blassie. I, I think the most memorable for me was seeing Blassie with Sheik and Volkov. Uh, I think he was called the Ayatollah yes. Blassie at yes. that point. Uh, had his LJN figure, but just for me, he was you know early on one of the one of the more memorable managers from my childhood. Yeah, and one of those guys, like I mentioned, who was a former wrestler, known as like a bloodthirsty guy who would bite the foreheads of people in uh, his native California and just make people bleed. But he turned into, in the 70s and 80s, a the fashion plate. Classy Freddie Blassie <laughs> yes. as a manager, yes. <laughs> yes, he was, he was a fashion plate. 
He certainly was. And speaking of uh, fashion plates, how about the lovely Elizabeth? As a manager, I mean, would you say a manager? Perhaps you could say valet because she didn't do that much, but she was uh, inspirational at ringside, as Gorilla Monsoon would, (laughs) or uh, Vince McMahon would say on a uh, regular basis. I think she was described as a manager, but but to me, I you'd be hard pressed to convince me. I mean, Elizabeth, absolutely gorgeous. Um, I think she had a, just a kind of a magnetic charisma about her, but I, you'd be hard pressed to convince me that she wasn't a valet. Okay, perhaps a sentimental pick there. Okay, <laughs> but okay, I'll give you another one then. How about this one? WCW Monday Night Wars. You wouldn't find a guy to me that was more annoying and more enraging than Eric Bischoff. Hmm. That's an interesting pick. As the manager of Hulk Hogan, he turned on WCW. He's always at ringside with the Hulkster as part of the NWO and just an annoying presence on your television screen and uh, further uh, displayed when he became the general manager of Raw after, of course, WCW went down. But Eric Bischoff as a personality, as a manager with Hulk Hogan specifically, to me, one of the best, not in terms of, and he had he spoke well on the microphone. Of course, he was a interviewer before he came to prominence on Nitro, hosting the show and doing commentary. But Eric Bischoff, once he turned heel, once he went at the NWO, just his presence just made your skin crawl. Yeah, Eric Bischoff, uh, fantastic performer and and just great at getting heat with the crowd uh, I, I i agree mike um a little off the wall and uh, again you're tiptoeing the line of manager there i think but yeah i think i think from a standpoint of all the things you described eric bischoff was top notch all right what else you got there kingpin well you know it, not off the wall, but a little more modern and kind of short-lived. But a guy I really, really enjoyed uh, with his work in, in, in the WWE uh, with Umaga was Armando Estrada. Um, you mean Armando Alejandro Estrada, correct? Exactly. And, and, and it's funny. There you go. You're, you're, you're hitting the catchphrase now. And this guy was around for what? Was he even around for two years? Uh. But- in there, in that range. Yeah, yeah right, right around there. Um, but he was kind of that throwback at that point to to the bygone era. Uh, he was uh, kind of like the only guy there for a while, you know, in that role. Uh, and I thought he did a hell of a job, and I thought he had a, had, a, had a lot of potential. And I'm not real sure why, you know, why his run ended or why they decided to move away from him. But I thought he was fantastic, really entertaining, uh, a throwback to, you know, our, our heyday and our childhood. I, th- I thought he was great. I, I, I really enjoyed him. And somebody who still to this day, uh, I look back on and remember the stuff he did fondly. Yeah, you hit it on the head. He's a complete throwback just to the the 80s heyday. And yeah, I had him on my list as well. Armando Estrada was just a great personality overall. Wasn't just a guy. He had his own thing going on. He wasn't just a guy who matched up with his talent. I mean, he was so completely different from Umaga. You know what I mean? It wasn't like these two guys went together, per se. It wasn't like they molded him to fit with Umaga. He was his own 
human. He was his own person, but he somehow found a way to mesh with Umaga and made it work. And I think they ended up cutting out his middle name and had him stop doing that catchphrase because it started to get him over as a baby face <laughs> yeah. or started to get him over, you know, over the talent. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, absolutely. And because it was entertaining and it was something that the crowd could grasp onto and sort of sing along with. Right. Uh, okay, Brian. Sonny. <laughs> Tammy Sitch, Sonny. I will say, I mean, with Sherry neck and neck as the best all around female managerial performer. She was beautiful. She could talk very well, talk about anything, anywhere, and did very extremely well. She had charisma, presence about her. I would say, I, I would probably put her over Sherry. Mm, no, because it's, it's a different thing. It's different. You, I guess you probably couldn't really compare because Sherry is a worker at heart, and Sonny was not an in-ring wrestler and couldn't bump like Sherry could and all that stuff. But Sonny, as an overall personality, was right near the top to me. Yeah, and Sunny was another one that, and it's funny because she never, I don't know that she ever really got that high profile um, client, I guess, for lack of a better term. But she was one, I think, she got to the point where she was just overshadowing anyone uh, that they tried to put her with. I mean, they've even tried to put her with LOD to kind of resurrect their career. And oh my God, her at that WrestleMania in Boston, that outfit she wore. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But, um, yeah, it just got, she got to a point where they stopped, I think they stopped putting her out as a manager because she was just overshadowing anybody she, you know, that she worked with. Um, and and she might've been one that would have been great to pair with, with a top person. Yeah. She was like, ended up being a, basically a TV host. She hosted WF mania for a time or something like that, but she was, yeah, she ended up going more into the television side of things after that. Uh, Farouk, I guess, wasn't the top talent that they thought he was going to be in terms of a, a singles guy with a uh, styrofoam helmet on his head. <laughs> it was lovely. Okay, what else you got there, Brian? Well, we, we kind of touched upon him a little earlier, but the, the guy who does it better than anybody else right now and um, in some people's mind could probably you know, might be doing it better than anybody's ever done it, and that's Paul Heyman. I, I think Paul Heyman. I, I wish there was more of Paul Heyman because when he's on when he's on TV, he is he is one of the most entertaining you know people on the entire show. Maybe the most entertaining person on the entire show. Uh, his promos are always top notch, uh, and he has to. And you're talking about a guy too now, much like again we talked about managers overshadowing performers. And you mentioned it a little earlier with him managing Curtis Axel. Uh, he has to be with somebody like a CM Punk or a Brock Lesnar, or or if he ultimately moves on you know i could see him maybe with like a braun Strowman or somebody of that uh, he has to be with a top guy because uh, if he's not he's going to overshadow that performer and they're going to feel secondary to him and i even liked him as probably dangerously i mean he was a fleshed out character he had the old school brick cell phone with him uh he was like what they call him the psycho yuppie i think was his nickname he was just <laughs> if you look at his work in wcw managing the dangerous alliance if you look at him with ravishing rick rude when they were both in wcw i thought he was a a great performer even back then as paulie dangerously of course he's uh only gotten better with age so he was what like in his 20s at that point in wcw yeah yeah i think so 20s early 30s uh brian we're getting kind of down to the nitty gritty here. You got anything else before you want to get to your number one? Yeah, you know, one more kind of like, again, a little bit off the beaten path. I uh, just want to throw out there because uh, 
you know, it, it, her, her appearance in, in the wrestling business kind of stemmed, I think, a little bit from a tragic event. And, and she was probably somebody who never dreamed of actually performing in the wrestling business, but ultimately became a pretty darn entertaining manager and a pretty darn entertaining character on TV. And it's Vicky Guerrero. Right. Um, I, I, I thought she was she was fantastic. She was absolutely fantastic. Spoke, you know, just tremendously on the mic, could garner heat as well as anybody on the entire roster and just really did a fantastic job. And, and she was somebody who, uh, again, like probably never intended to be in the wrestling business and actually be a performer on TV. And one of the most uncomfortable moments in wrestling history to me was her on-screen kiss with Edge before any of us were ready to see <laughs> Vicky Guerrero do anything with someone other than Eddie Guerrero. It was one of the most uh, ugh, just, uh, you know, tug it and call it kind of thing before we were <laughs> before any of us were ready for it, I think. That whole moment was, yeah, uh, that was something else. And yeah, she became a hell of a performer and it's proof that, you know, you don't have to be born loving wrestling to grow and to become a great performer you don't have to be a wrestling fan your whole life to be a great performer it certainly helps but uh being around i guess the guerrero family as she was i guess some of it must have rubbed off on her yeah yeah i i, I would agree and although the, the, the level at which she performed i i kind of like to think it's one of those things that you're either born with, you know, it's, I, I think the type of charisma she had and the way she was able to speak and get heat, that's one of those things. That's to me, that's like God given sort of talent. You have, that's one of the, the way, the way she was able to perform, you have that in you or you don't. Um, and right. it probably was something that was, you know, it was something that was probably already there. Just, she probably never imagined actually having to use it. Okay. Before we get to the number ones, throw a little bone to Mike Mills from booking the territory. I will say James J. Dillon, the manager of the Four Horsemen, of course, also a former wrestler, going back to what we said earlier in the show. J.J. Dillon just had that air of uh, respect. He had that air of that he was just a, a pompous ass and uh, just a, a classy individual and a perfect fit. Even though, like I said before, we talked about uh, the Brain Busters and Bobby Heenan, none of those guys needed someone to talk for them. But just he was a piece of that package that fit in perfectly, James J. Dillon. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, you know, the heyday of J.J. Dillon. I'm not, you know, I, I wasn't watching it in that era a, 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 a tremendous amount. But if you go back and, and watch the footage, yeah, I think he's, I think he's fantastic. Um, I, I think he's different, too, than a lot of other managers. I, I don't know. He wasn't sneaky or weaselly, right? He was just... yeah. He he fit in with the image of the horseman. He was the perfect kind of manager for that group because of you know, uh, like if if you t if you think of like some of the other great managers, like a Jimmy Hart or somebody wouldn't have fit as like the manager of the Four Horsemen. It had to be somebody like J.J. Dillon. Yeah, you just see him at ringside leaning against the post with his uh, glasses like in his mouth there, just like looking and just peering into the ring. Yeah, he, <laughs> he always had a very contented air. He certainly did. A contented air about him. Uh, I guess there are a couple others we could say, too. Captain Lou Albano, uh, just as a personality over the top, ended up doing stuff with Cindy Lauper and music videos and all that. Just a weird, tremendous personality. I had the opportunity to be around him a little bit in NWA New England in the late 90s. And uh, what you see is what you get with Captain Lou. He's just uh, he's a maniac. In front of the camera and behind the camera. And that lent perfectly to that time, the 70s, uh, 
very early 80s with uh, Captain Lou at ringside for the WWF. Uh, okay, here we go. Favorite manager. That was a topic voted on by our listeners on Twitter at the WPAN. Kingpin Brian Malonis, your favorite manager. I mean, I think if, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know it. And just based on conspicuous by his absence so far and mentioning, um, you know, there's probably only one place that I'm going and knowing where my first love lies and, and where my loyalties lied as a child. It has to be Bobby Heenan, uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan, to me, the greatest manager of all time one of the greatest commentators of all time and really just one of the the greatest performers of all time when you think of foils for Hulk Hogan in the in the 80s um Everybody always mentions the guys that he that he's fought, whether it be King Kong Bundy, Andre the Giant, Paul Orndorff. Um, well, specifically behind those three guys uh, was one man, and that was Bobby the Brain Heenan, who really was one of Hulk Hogan's greatest rivals throughout the eighties. Right. Uh, even though you know the. Bobby Heenan wasn't a wasn't a wrestler. He he chased down Hogan just as much as as any single wrestler did. And I think of some of the great pairings, uh, whether it be again Andre the Giant or Mister Perfect or Ravishing Rick Rude, and some of the memorable moments. Bobby Heenan getting thrown around by uh, Hulk Hogan or the Ultimate Warrior. Just you know, maybe the most entertaining man in the history of of pro wrestling, the greatest manager of all time, and and certainly without a doubt, it's not even close. My favorite manager of all time. And I think in baseball, you say five tool player. Is that the terminology? Yeah, exactly. He's got all the tools. Yeah, he can bump around, he can talk, he can work ringside like a madman. He did it all, Bobby the Brain Heenan. And uh, I agree with you that he is uh, one of the best. But Brian. Not my favorite. We talked about this a little bit uh, a week or two ago on the Wrestling Podcast about nothing. I say <laughs> my favorite manager of all time, just a smidge above the brain, is the Louisville slugger himself, James E. Cornette. In my mind, as a talker, just a notch above Bobby Heenan. I, I'd say Jim Cornette, the most entertaining, crazy amazing promo man that there is especially as a manager just he is the things he comes up with are just amazing you hear it every week on his podcast he still spits them out uh you know just off the cuff amazingly jim Cornette as a manager just uh vile disgusting just a despicable human being his whole character where he is basically a mama's boy his mother is rich and just he's just a spoiled rich kid and he's got the the tennis racket because he's out at the you know the health club just uh you know batting around balls in the afternoon then comes and manages his tag teams like the midnight express at night just a, a perfect manager figure uh as a bumper of course he's not a former wrestler so he can't be the bumper that Bobby Heenan is, but as a talker, I would say Jim Cornette, just a cut above Bobby the Brain Heenan. That makes him my favorite wrestling manager. Yeah, you <laughs> sicken me. What? Yeah, absolutely sicken me. No, Jim Cornette's great. I, I think. I think. Yeah. I mean, not my favorite, um, but yeah, I think you can't. You can't argue his greatness and just how uh, how amazing uh, Jim Cornette was. 
you know, it's it's funny that that's your pick after after uh, some of my harsh words uh, a couple weeks back. Um, yeah, you gotta smooth this stuff over. Yeah, do yeah. Jim Cornette doesn't even know who I am or that I exist. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I think he's I think he's tremendous. I just don't buy into his opinion of pro wrestling in 2018. That's all. And like I said uh, a couple weeks ago when we when we mentioned this briefly, Heenan versus Cornette, I would say that Heenan's most entertaining stuff were alongside Gorilla Monsoon doing commentary, doing primetime wrestling. And that's why I think Heenan is a favorite of mine as a personality, as a color commentator, my favorite. But as a manager, as purely in the managerial role, I would say I pick Cornette over Heenan. I disagree, but it's your pick. So that's okay with me. All right. Well, let us know your picks out there. What do you think? Who is your favorite manager? Tweet us at the WPAN on Twitter, hashtag WPAN. We want to know what you think. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Cornette versus Heenan? Or is it someone else that's your favorite? Let us know on Twitter and anywhere else at the WPAN and uh, let us know your thoughts. Okay. It is time for this week's promo about nothing. But before we get into that, let's talk about our sponsor. People ask me, what do you mean? BDARadio.com. What does the BDA stand for? Best of Dominion at All In? Kind of works. (laughs) Yes, Brian. Kenny Omega, the tops of the New Japan Dominion card this past weekend. The new IWGP Heavyweight Champion, spoiler alert, will be at All In. But will the champion of Super Heavyweights, Brian Malonis, be there? Not as of this release. Not as of this release, Brian. <laughs> and why the hell not? Because BDA Radio has the most unique commentary on mixed martial arts and pro wrestling on the internet. They don't break news. They break the news with their wild commentary regarding MMA and wrestling. Head over to BDARadio.com and check out all the latest news on UFC, Bellator, WWE, and much more. Spread the golden love by going all in on BDARadio.com. Still no progress on huh? the all-in? No, buddy. I, I think, I think I'm going to be sitting home for that one, but that's, that's okay. All right. We'll, we'll see what happens. There's still time. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. All right. <laughs> Promo about nothing. The year 1986. And we are going to Jim Crockett Promotions, the National Wrestling Alliance affiliated JCP, as David Crockett, no relation, is in the interview area with a gentleman who goes by the name of Joe Nighthawk Coltrane. Let's take a listen to this week's promo about nothing. We keep on bringing the people the best talent anywhere in the world. And we have a young man with us right now that is one of the best. We're talking about Joe Nighthawk Coltrane. Come on in. Because look at this man. He's big, tall, fast, and one of the best. Joe? Yes, sir, Mr. Crockett. I tell you, you know, the worldwide wrestling is uh, it's a good opportunity to be here, and I'm, I'm proud to be here to represent my race and all the good all the good fans around the country. And I tell you, uh, right here, this these are the best athletes in the world, and I've had the opportunity to serve my country and do a lot of serving around the country. And I just tell you, this is this right here is where it is. And uh, if you want to speak in a sense of great athletes, I know people make they make a big deal about that. But in that sense, you just have to, you know, you you, can, you couldn't mention 
good athletes. I've mentioned Magnum P.A. I think Magnum P.A. is one of the best in the country. You know, he's like a full thoroughbred. You know, in talking to Dusty Rhodes not long ago, you know, Dusty told me, he said, you can't take a mule to the Kentucky Derby and expect to win. And that's about on the stance that this is. These all, right. Are... all right, Nighthawk, you know, you're talking about everybody else. But let me tell you about this young man. All right. He was part of the Airborne Rangers, also a great amateur wrestler and amateur weightlifter. He is going to be one of the best. Wrestling experience from all over the world. Guys, you better watch out. Well, you know, amateur and weightlifting is one thing, but, you know, doggone in, in the ring, you can bench press bodies in the ring, but that don't really make you, that don't, that don't make you the best in here. You know, these, these guys are going to be coming out, and they're going to be rough and tough, and, you know, I guess that's what I'm all about, one-on-one, you know. Sure, we just throw them in the head and see what it's about, you know. All right, thank you very much. Let's go to the ring. You're going to hear a lot from this young man. Oh, let's hope not. <laughs> <laughs> you beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> this guy really knows how to downsell himself, doesn't he? <laughs> I was going to say, he's very understated. <laughs> <laughs> David Crockett tries to pump him up, but no, 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 no. All that's, that amateur stuff, it's all garbage. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really that good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it seems like... Uh, Crockett doesn't really know the guy's name before he says it. He's like, uh, it just kind of tumbles out of his mouth. Like, uh, 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 Joe, uh, Nighthawk Coltrane. There he is. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, the wrestlers are supposed to sell themselves. So you want to buy a ticket. You want to see them on TV. Um, this did the exact opposite. I have no interest in looking this guy up or even hearing another promo from him ever again. It was terrible. <laughs> we talked a lot about managers here today, Brian. This is exhibit A. <laughs> yeah, he sure could have used somebody, huh? Yes, and he talked about he he served his country and he did a lot of serving all over the country. I'm guessing Waffle House, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> He's proud of being a server. So. He's, he certainly is. Uh, and you know, of course, Dusty Rhodes said uh, you can't take a mule to the Kentucky Derby and expect to win. <laughs> is he talking about Magnum? Is he talking about Dusty? Is he talking about himself? I don't understand. I. I don't, I don't either, but, uh, yeah, wow, that was really bad. And, and I will say, David Crockett did, throughout the interview, tried to lead him certain places, but he just wouldn't do it. <laughs> and, I mean, David Crockett stinks himself, so, I mean, this... <laughs> wow. <laughs> I would say the blind leading the blind, but David Crockett was like Ric Flair in comparison to Joe Coltrane. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, that was, that, was, uh, that was ugly, buddy. That one was ugly. What about the last line? Throw him in the head and see what it's about, you know? Throw him in the head and see what it's about. What the fuck? Your, your, your guess is as good as mine. Throw him in the head see what it's about. Uh, yeah, like I said, hopefully we won't see a lot more, uh, or hear a lot more anyway, from Joe Nighthawk Coltrane. And I want to thank especially Peter Winston from Greetings from Allentown, who hooked me up with the audio for that. He played that uh, a number of months ago in his podcast, and I found uh, that quite a good promo about nothing candidate. So I asked uh, Peter for his help and he hooked me up with the audio. So thank you very much. Peter Winston from Greetings from Allentown. Check out that podcast. Brian, you're hitting the highways and byways. Crisscross this great nation of ours, plying your trade as a professional wrestler and you got dates. Yeah, Micah. Well, this coming weekend, I'm I'm, I'm off. Uh, I plan on kicking my feet back, relaxing, enjoying Father's Day this coming Sunday. Happy ah. Father's Day to the to all the fathers out there. Happy Father's Day to you, buddy. Sort of. Yeah. Thanks. This is yeah. It's <laughs> a little a bit of a purgatory for me as a as a father, but yeah, we'll see what happens. 
Yeah, sort of the first one, but yeah. uh, enjoy, my friend. Enjoy. But, Thank you. Uh, you too. I'll return to it. No, I'm not having an extended hiatus from the ring. Let's just say that. Yeah. Uh, I'll be returning to action on June the 23rd in Bethany, Connecticut for Northeast Wrestling. Find Northeast Wrestling on uh, all your social media platforms for full ticket and card information. I'll be with Northeast Wrestling quite a bit coming up here uh, throughout the summer. Pretty excited uh, for all the big stadium shows and whatnot that uh, I'll be taking part in with them. So that should be fun throughout the year. Uh, Then, Mike, the 24th, June the 24th, a Sunday. I'll be returning to the Melrose Memorial Hall in Melrose, Massachusetts for Beyond Wrestling. Uh, this is a double header with Evolve, and I don't know if you saw the news, but NXT North American Champion Adam Cole will be defending the North American Championship at uh, Evolve's event that night. I did see that. Yes, I did. Very interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, a very strong tie between Evolve and WWE, but I'll be on only the Beyond portion of the show in the afternoon, which will also be a great show. Uh, Why don't you stick around, though, and uh, you know, um, introduce yourself you know, to my- the right people? You know, well, you know, Mike, I don't think I should do that. No? Um, <laughs> no. All right. uh, so we'll move on from that. And uh, come to Beyond. Check out beyondwrestlingonline.com uh, for ticket and card information. And then rounding out the end of the month, Mike, uh, I won't be on the pay-per-view, but Ring of Honor has a best-in-the-world pay-per-view on June the 29th, uh, live from Baltimore, Maryland. The main event, Cody and Marty Skrull, both challenging world champion Dalton Castle in a triple threat match for the Ring of Honor world championship sign up for honor club and and you can get a discount i believe on this pay-per-view it's also available on traditional pay-per-view uh and rohwrestling.com if you're in the baltimore area the very next day though i'll be heading to fairfax virginia for ring of honors international television taping as part of the best in the world weekend uh so again once again rohwrestling.com for ticket information if you're in the area or and if you're not check out ring of honor weekly uh, check your local listings check out rohwrestling.com for where it is in your area area all right well you're getting around there kingpin if you want to help the kingpin get around even further brian malonis at comcast.net is the email if you want to book my friend brian or dm him on twitter he is at brian malonis all right that's it for this episode of the wrestling podcast about nothing we'll be back next monday for episode 113 of the podcast till then he is the kingpin brian malonis i'm mike crockett Big ups to Mucko, and thanks for nothing. Yeah!